Hi, and welcome to the Anxiety Savvy Podcast, where you'll find cutting-edge, science-informed tools for navigating anxiety. Whether you struggle with anxiety or have a loved one who does, this podcast is for you. I'm your host, Dr. Alyssa Jared, licensed clinical psychologist and clinical assistant professor at the University of Pennsylvania. An expert in the treatment of anxiety, I'm also an imperfect mom, wife, daughter, sister, and friend doing my best to show up and skillfully traverse the beautifully messy, emotion-strewn path that we call life. While I hope that this podcast helps you do the same, please note that the information shared here is not a substitute for therapy and is intended for educational purposes only. And now, without further ado, let's get started. Hi, everyone. This is the first episode of the Anxiety Savvy Podcast, and I'm so, so glad you are tuning in. I'm Dr. Alyssa Jared, and to begin today, I want to talk about why I decided to start this podcast in the first place, who this podcast is for, and what you can hope to get out of it. I'll also talk a bit about what anxiety is and how we go about treating it when it becomes problematic. So here's my why, the reason I decided to start this podcast. If you ask friends, family, and even many therapists for advice about how to cope with anxiety, you are likely to get a long list of suggestions. And while some of these suggestions may be helpful to some extent, given the the quick fix society in which we live, there's a good chance that many of the ideas that people float your way are likely to be ineffective strategies at best. And that some of these, while only well-intentioned, might even function to maintain and exacerbate your anxiety in the long run. And the same goes for the existing podcasts on anxiety, many of which are run by people whose wisdom comes from their own struggles with anxiety, which, though valuable in many, many ways, is not necessarily grounded in any particular clinical training in treatments that we know work for anxiety. And here's what makes this podcast unique. As I noted in the intro for today, I'm an expert in the treatment of anxiety. More specifically, I specialize in exposure-based treatments for anxiety disorders, which are highly effective evidence-based treatments for anxiety that we'll talk a bit more about later in this episode and lots, lots more about in future episodes. What I want to note here, though, is that exposure therapy, while incredibly powerful, is anything but intuitive for most of us. In a nutshell, it entails approaching anxiety-provoking situations and allowing ourselves to feel anxious without trying to do anything to decrease our anxiety. And so I'm guessing you can likely see why this approach is not really readily embraced by our society, right? We're, we're kind of all interested in living our best lives and feeling as great as possible. And so it makes sense that we would want to avoid rather than intentionally bring on anxiety. And I have to be honest, I'm no exception here. 
So despite my passion for helping people face their fears, I still find myself wanting to avoid anxiety all the time. And I have to push myself to do things like make this podcast rather than just hide in the shadows. And so with this in mind, this podcast is my attempt to start to bridge the gap between what we know to be most effective for managing anxiety and what most people are doing out there to cope with their anxiety when it arises. In addition, I'm also hoping to help bridge the gap that currently exists between the need for effective treatment for anxiety and the availability of trained professionals who are qualified to provide exposure-based treatment for anxiety. And unfortunately, this gap appears to be higher than ever now, and I think that's probably likely in large part due to the pandemic. And this gap has left so many people struggling as they wait on lengthy wait lists for way too long. And so my hope is that if you're listening and you're one of those people who are waiting for treatment, that this podcast might help kind of jumpstart you on your journey to developing a new relationship with anxiety. In addition, this podcast is also for those of you listening who have loved ones who struggle with anxiety. It can be so hard to see those we love and care for struggle, and it can be confusing knowing what to say or not say, what to do or not do when someone we care about is struggling with anxiety specifically. And so my hope is that this podcast will help you to have a better understanding of what your loved one is going through and help you to support your loved one in a way that's going to be most helpful for him or her. And lastly, this podcast is for therapists, psychiatrists, medical providers, and other helping professionals who sometimes work with people who are anxious. And I'm hoping that this podcast will help you to meet those people where they're at and ideally point them in the right direction so that they can begin working on their anxiety. And if you are a therapist listening and you don't have much training in providing treatment for anxiety, my hope is that this podcast might even inspire you to seek out some additional training in exposure-based treatments for anxiety. All right, so moving on to what you can expect from this podcast. As the name of this podcast suggests, we're going to be focusing primarily on anxiety here. That said, the principles underlying exposure-based treatments for anxiety apply beautifully to just about every aspect of our lives, and I found that these can be really useful in helping us regulate emotions other than anxiety and also in enabling us to navigate other challenges that we might encounter, so things like you know difficulties at work or even in our parenting. And So because of this, over the years, I've developed a passion for helping people not only face their fears, but also parent respectfully and regulate other unwanted emotions aside from anxiety. And so we'll be sprinkling these topics into episodes from time to time as well. Another thing I want to note here is that this podcast is for educational purposes only, right? That it's not meant to be a substitute for therapy. And so if as you're listening, you find that you're having detailed or individualized questions about yourself, 
I would strongly encourage you to consult with a qualified professional, someone who is trained in exposure-based treatment for anxiety. And if you are interested in starting treatment but are unsure of how to go about finding an exposure therapist, you can visit the resources section of my website, alissajared.com, and there I list uh, the links to a number of organizations that have really useful therapist directories on their websites. And if you go into those therapist directories, you can do a search for therapists who are trained in exposure therapy and who are licensed in the state in which you live. The other thing I want to note before moving on is that I do not give any identifying information about patients in my podcast, in my writing. So if if you're a current, former, or future patient of mine, please rest assured that I will never share any personal information about you or your case here. Okay, with all that said, I want to move on now to talking about what anxiety is. And so the first thing I really want to stress is that anxiety is a normal and adaptive emotion that's very much necessary for our survival, right? So it's anxiety about being hit by a car that leads us to look both ways when we're getting to cross the street so that we don't get hit and run over by a car. So again, anxiety is something that we need and that we're all bound to experience at times. And when we're feeling anxious, there are usually three components to our anxiety that we're likely to notice. So there are thoughts, physical sensations, and behaviors or urges to avoid. And so these, to to give you an example of how this might look for someone, let's say I have a fear of heights and I'm standing on the 24th floor of a building and I've gone out um, walked out the wind, the balcony, and so I'm on the balcony, standing kind of near the the railing of the balcony, the ledge of it, and I'm looking over. I'm likely to feel really anxious in that moment, and there are probably going to be a number of thoughts racing through my mind, right? So I might have some what if questions, like what if I just decide to jump, or what if somebody pushes me over. I might also have some intrusive, unwanted thoughts and images pop up, right? I might have an image of falling over the railing, even though that's the last thing I want to do. And as I'm standing there with all these thoughts racing through my head, I'm likely to also be experiencing a number, a number of intense physical sensations. So maybe my heart's racing and my palms are sweaty and I'm feeling nauseous and um, kind of a little shaky and lightheaded. And I am also probably going to be feeling some pretty strong urges to get the heck out of there, to, you know, if nothing else, to grip the railing really tightly, to maybe, again, to, to go back inside and go down to ground floor. Um, I might even, as I'm standing there, start to kind of check the floorboards, like put, move my feet around to see if those floorboards are stable enough to support me. So again, even if you don't have a fear of heights yourself, my guess is that this example resonates at least to some extent for you because again, these, these components of anxiety are all normal and something that we all experience at times. 
And so what's important to note here is that anxiety really only becomes problematic when it starts to interfere with our lives. In other words, when it starts leading us to avoid things that matter to us, right? If I can't even go up onto this building where let's say my friend's having um, a really big celebration, or when it leads us to do a number of behaviors, a number of things in an attempt to try to reduce our anxiety or prevent uh, some feared outcome from happening, right? So it starts to take up more and more of our time and our energy. And another way of framing this, of what anxiety is and when it is that anxiety becomes problematic, is to think about anxiety as a really useful and necessary threat detection system or alarm system. And so when our anxiety is serving us well, our internal alarm bells ring in response to potential threats in our environment. And these alarm bells lead us to take effective actions that help us dodge any potential threats in our environment. But when anxiety starts to move in, you know, from being adaptive to less adaptive to being problematic, it's as though our threat detection system has gone awry and it starts sounding lots of false alarms that we confuse as being or we mistake as being true alarms that we feel like we need to respond to immediately. So you might be wondering as you're listening to me talk, how is it that this glitch in our alarm system develops in the first place? In other words, you know, why is it that some of us have these false alarms that we feel so compelled to listen to, whereas others of us don't? Or to put it another way, right, what is it that maintains and exacerbates anxiety over time? And the main factor here, the main thing that kind of fuels anxiety is avoidance. Um, and so we'll talk about what, why this is the case in a minute. But I want to first just acknowledge that it is so normal and natural to want to avoid anxiety, right? We are biologically programmed to want to avoid pain or discomfort of any kind, whether that's physical or emotional. So if my hand is in the fire, it hurts and I, I want to pull it out, right? And when we're feeling anxious, the same thing is true. We, we just want to make that anxiety go away. So those urges to want to avoid, they're natural, they're understandable. And when we do avoid an anxiety-provoking situation, thought, or physical sensation, that avoidance can be really powerful. When avoidance works, it actually works really well and can give us a huge sense of relief in the moment. But the problem is that that relief tends to be pretty short-lived. Because what happens is the next time that we find ourselves in a similar situation, we're going to feel the same anxiety again. And since we've essentially taught ourselves that the best way to cope with anxiety is to avoid, we're likely going to need to keep avoiding. And so each time we avoid in this way, we strengthen the habit of reducing anxiety through avoidance. And unfortunately, over time, this reliance on avoidance can grow and spread and can become our default way of responding to anxiety, no matter the situation that's triggering it. So at first, we might only need to avoid a few things, 
But with time, we, we find that we need to avoid more and more. And as our avoidance grows, our world starts to shrink more and more, right? We start doing less and less in order to avoid the anxiety that we've come to believe is unbearable. Now, it's important to note here that when I talk about avoidance, I'm not just talking about avoiding anxiety-provoking situations altogether, because sometimes we might not be able to avoid these situations, or we might decide that we don't want to avoid certain things because they matter too much to us. And when this is the case, we're often pulled to use other avoidance behaviors in an attempt to reduce our anxiety or prevent our feared outcomes from happening. In therapy, we call these safety behaviors, rituals, or compulsions, but regardless of what we call them, they're really just behaviors, and these can either be overt behaviors, things we actually do, or mental behaviors, things we kind of like say to ourselves. Um, so there are these behaviors that help us feel better in the moment, but that almost always just fuel our anxiety in the long run. And the same is true of our thoughts. So it can be really uncomfortable to sit with anxiety-provoking thoughts, right? Thoughts about terrible things happening in our lives or in the lives of those we care about. But we've got a lot of data to say that the more that we try to push away a thought, the stronger and more frequently that thought is likely to pop up. And when I talk about avoidance of our thoughts, I'm not just talking about those times when we try to push away a thought, like all together we say, oh, I'm not going to think about that, or I'm going to think about something better. But I'm also talking here about times when we try to reassure ourselves, rationalize why our thoughts are unlikely to be true, or remind ourselves that our thoughts are just thoughts. So I know this might seem like a lot because even these thoughts that most of us tell ourselves at times can function to maintain and exacerbate our anxiety. And this is because anxiety isn't really concerned with probabilities. If there's even a 0.0000001% chance that something terrible might happen, there's a good chance that anxiety is likely to shoot up again at some point in the future if that thing is important enough to you. And it's that anxiety is gonna come with some pretty scary what-if questions. And so rather than try to intellectualize our anxiety away, we are much better off simply acknowledging that our feared outcomes could come true, even if it's not all that likely that they will. So with all of that in mind, I wanna move on to talking a bit about what exposure-based treatment for anxiety entails. And so I already talked earlier in the podcast about how with exposure therapy, we're essentially, we're intentionally approaching anxiety-provoking situations without avoiding in any way, shape, or form, right? We're, we're bringing on that anxiety. And as scary as that might sound to some of you listening, there's a really compelling rationale for why we do this and a ton of data to support the use of this approach, this counterintuitive approach. Um, and specifically when we start to approach anxiety provoking situations and we do so without avoiding, and I should note the same goes for thoughts, right? When we start to allow ourselves to sit with those anxiety provoking thoughts, some really powerful corrective learning occurs. 
And specifically, we learn a number of really key things. And so the first is that we learn that we we don't need to rely on avoidance to reduce our anxiety. Instead, we learn that we can tolerate feeling anxious, even if it feels really uncomfortable. We can feel that anxiety and still go about doing all of the things that matter to us. And when we do that, when we let the anxiety be there, over time, it will likely decline naturally on its own without us doing anything to make it go away because no emotion can last forever and anxiety is no different. So if we don't do anything to fuel the anxiety, to maintain the anxiety, like if we're not avoiding, trying to avoid that anxiety, then it gets a chance to run its course so that it's not causing us so much distress anymore. But again, probably even more important than that reduction of anxiety is just learning that we can feel our anxiety and still move through the world without needing to let that anxiety dictate what we do or don't do. The other thing that exposure does is that it helps us see that those urges that we might have to avoid, again, over time, if we don't give in to those urges, those urges will also decrease with time. So it's kind of like a mosquito bite, right? If you itch it, if you, or if you scratch it, that itch is likely just going to keep, you know, itching. It's going to keep bothering you. You're going to keep feeling the need to scratch. But if you refrain from scratching it, it might, that itch might be really intense at first, but it will likely go away much faster than if you keep scratching it. The other thing, exposures, they allow us to see that oftentimes our feared outcomes just aren't going to happen, right? We discover, oh, if I do this thing that and my anxiety has been telling me is so scary, so risky for so long, they find out it's like that, that thing actually really, that feared outcome is really unlikely and it, it most of the time probably isn't going to happen. And if it does happen, oftentimes we learn, hey, we can tolerate that. And even that worst case scenario that I thought would be so terrible, turns out I can handle that. And other times we can't, when we do exposures, we don't necessarily confirm or disconfirm if something terrible is going to happen. So if I'm afraid that maybe if I touch something that I think is contaminated that I don't know, um, I might develop some sort of terrible disease five years from now. Well, I may not be able to confirm that right away, right? There's gonna be that uncertainty. Well, maybe because I touched that, that red spot that I thought could have been blood, maybe in five years from now, it will turn out that I have AIDS. And I can't con disconfirm that in the moment. And so exposure can be really powerful in helping us to sit with uncertainty, to learn that we can tolerate that uncertainty. And the more we practice allowing ourselves to sit with uncertainty, the easier it gets. The stronger our muscles for tolerating that uncertainty become. And the final piece, when we start to approach and not avoid and not, again, not allow anxiety to boss us around, it can be incredibly empowering. We can get this huge boost in our self-esteem and feel like, hey, we do not need anxiety to call the shots anymore. We can be in the driver's seat of our lives. And so that can be really, really quite exciting to experience. So again, that's just a very brief overview of the rationale for exposure therapy. And we're going to talk lots more about that and um, how we use exposure 
when targeting specific anxiety disorders. And I'm not gonna talk much more about that today, and we're not gonna talk about all of the different anxiety disorders, what they are and how to differentiate them today. But I do just wanna note if you're listening and you're wondering you know, if I'm gonna be talking about the anxiety you're struggling with, I wanna note the types of anxiety that we're going to be talking about here. So we're gonna cover all anxiety-related disorders. So specific phobias like a fear of flying, blood, needles, heights, vomiting, insects. We'll also be talking about obsessive compulsive disorder or OCD and the many different ways in which that can manifest. And in addition, we'll talk about social anxiety disorder, panic disorder, post-traumatic stress disorder or PTSD, and generalized anxiety disorder. And lastly, again, because anxiety doesn't just show up for those of us who have anxiety disorders. We're also going to be just talking about more circumscribed or situationally bound manifestations of anxiety, right? So, you know, for example, anxiety about a loved one being sick. We're going to talk about how do we manage, how do we cope with the anxiety that we feel in those situations when just about any one of us would be feeling anxious. Okay, I'm going to stop here for today, but I want to thank you so, so much for listening. I hope that you found this helpful and that you'll keep tuning in. Thank you for listening to the Anxiety Savvy Podcast. If you enjoyed today's episode, please leave a five-star review and share it with your friends and family. As a reminder, this podcast is for educational purposes only and is not a substitute for therapy. If you are having a mental health emergency, dial 911 or go to your nearest emergency department. And if you are looking for mental health treatment, please visit the resources section of my website, alyssajared.com.